Welcome to What Christians Should Know, hosted by Dr. Elijah Sadoffel. This podcast equips you with clarity and meaningful answers about God, the Bible, and your Christian life. Now, here's Dr. Sadoffel. In today's short, we are picking up from where we left off last week in our discussion of the Christian man. We talked about two relationships that he has in his life, the primary vertical relationship with God and a secondary horizontal relationship with work. Today, we will talk about the other horizontal relationship the Christian man has in his life with his family. In Genesis 2.18, the text says, Then the Lord God said, It is not good for the man to be alone. I will make him a helper suitable for him. Then, a few verses down in verses 21 to 24, the text says, So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man, and he slept. Then he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh at that place. The Lord God fashioned into a woman the rib which he had taken from the man and brought her to the man. The man said, This is now the bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. For this reason a man shall leave his father and his mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. In Genesis 2.18, when God says it is not good for man to be alone, this is the first time in the entire creation narrative that anything is labeled less than good. In Genesis 1, we see God making the world as we know it, and at the end of each day, God declares that it is good. Now, for the first time, God says something is not good, and what is not good is man by himself. This tells us clearly and plainly that in God's design for creation, man is never built to be an island separated from others, but he expresses his full manliness in the context of a relationship. In fact, family is so important for the Christian man that Genesis 2.24 tells us that the only reason a man should leave one family is to start another family where he and his wife will join and become one flesh. Additionally, there are some who may interpret the biblical language of the woman being called to help her in Genesis 2.18 to be an indication of inferiority. This is blatantly wrong. What the text does say is that men and women are two halves of a whole, so that without a woman, a man is helpless, and without a man, a woman is unable to execute her God-designed purpose to help. Men and women are equals and are both made in the image and likeness of God. However, although men and women are equal in being, they are not equal in responsibility when it comes to marriage. Genesis 2 tells us that God is the one who created marriage, and humans were the ones who merely received the institution. Hence, God is the one who defines the terms of marriage. All humans could subsequently do is describe it. And how did God define marriage? By male headship. Headship means that woman was formed from man and then brought to him. Headship means that God bestowed the privilege on man to name woman. Headship means in a Christian marriage, the Christian man leads, but he leads from a position of sacrificial, caring love. Headship means roles are different, so while there is full equality, there is not egalitarianism. Headship means authority, but it also means responsibility. So when it comes to a man as the head of a family, the man 
and answers to God for everyone in his family because the buck stops with him. When God created the institution of marriage, it was before the fall of humankind and before sin entered into the world. In a sinless world, headship doesn't carry the baggage that it does today because there was no selfishness or deceit. There was perfect harmony with God and God's creatures lived in harmony with one another. Then, after sin enters the picture, headship is taken to two evil extremes, overuse of authority leading to abuse, or neglect of responsibility leading to abandonment. In the New Testament, in Ephesians chapter 5, verses 22 to 30, the Apostle Paul describes the marriage between a man and a woman being like the marriage between Christ and his church. That text says, Wives, be subject to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ also is the head of the church, he himself being the Savior of the body. But as the church is subject to Christ, so also the wives ought to be to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her, so that he may sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, that he may present to himself the church in all her glory, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she would be holy and blameless. So husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his own wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ also does the church, because we are members of his body. So, the Christian man in a marriage is not just in a marriage. He is also in a living, breathing picture of the gospel relationship between Christ and his bride, the church. Paul therefore tells us that the love a man has for his wife is number one, sacrificial, number two, purifying, number three, caring, and number four, unbreakable. Christ came into this world to die for his church, would never abuse his church, and would never divorce his church. So, because God is the one who defined marriage, and marriage is an illustration of Christ and His Church, if we ever begin to redefine marriage, we are not only encroaching on God's turf, we are also polluting the illustrative union between Jesus and His Bride. If we redefine the roles of men and women in marriage, we are also blaspheming the Christ-Church relationship. Finally, I will talk about the Christian man in relation to his children. Ephesians chapter 6 verses 1 to 4 says, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, so that it may be well with you, and that you may live long on the earth. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Paul begins by basically saying, Children, obey your parents and honor your mom and dad. Children comes from a word in Greek that refers to children of all ages, including adults. The act children demonstrate is obedience, and the inward attitude that animates obedience is honor. What I want to focus on the most is verse 4 of Ephesians 6, where Paul gives an imperative command. He says, Fathers, bring up your children in the instruction of the Lord. Instruction comes from a Greek word that literally means putting in the mind. The point is that we, as fathers, are the ones ultimately responsible for not only disciplining our children, but making sure they have a proper knowledge of who God is, what the Bible says, and what Christ has done for them. This relates back to the idea of headship already discussed, so that if our children are biblically illiterate, that is an indictment on us. 
this. It is a responsibility that does not fall on the church. It does not fall on a youth pastor. It does not fall on vacation Bible school or Sunday school. That responsibility falls on fathers. In modernity, fathers can be a provider of material things while neglecting their spiritual duties as head of the house to be a prophet and priest to their children. By a prophet, I mean one who instructs his children on God's word and leads them in God's instruction. By a priest, I mean one who intercedes by prayer for his wife and children and making sure that he sets the spiritual tone for his household. When God gifts a Christian couple children, these children are born not knowing who God is, and this knowledge just doesn't happen by secondhand exposure. Hence, when it comes to the Christian man and the family, it is our duty to to both evangelize and make disciples of our children. Our first evangelism mission, then, isn't halfway around the world. It's to the people who sit at our dinner table. This makes the most logical sense because these are the ones whom we love and whom we shelter for the bulk of their young life. This is why Paul lays the responsibility on fathers to bring up their children in the discipline and the instruction of the Lord. As I hope I have now made clear, yes, the Christian man does have more authority in the Christian marriage and family, but biblically speaking, more privileges always means more responsibility and greater accountability. Indeed, to whom much is given, much is expected. Just ask our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Thank you for listening. For more valuable resources, including a bookstore and online Bible study, visit wcsk.org.